This is our final lesson on the book of Jonah. Uh, as you can see up there, it's the 10th lesson. We've been looking at this book uh, for about two and a half months now. Um, it doesn't seem that long to me. I'm sure it feels longer to you all. It has been a study that really, um, we've only scratched the surface in my mind of what there is to study in the book of Jonah, despite spending 10 lessons on this book. So if you have time or a desire or the Lord leads, there's much more to learn in this book. But we'll wrap up this morning with some lessons from the, the second part of chapter 4 as we go on today. Just quickly remembering last week, we left off in verse 4 of chapter 4 with God asking Jonah the question, is it right for you to be angry? And that's a question we'll see God ask Jonah again here in just a bit. When God asks questions, we need to be quick to listen. We need to pay attention because he's not just asking um, to hear himself speak. Uh, I know at times as a parent, you ask your kids questions that you already know the answers to. And sometimes you just stand there with um, no reply. And that's actually what Jonah did here. We'll see in a moment. He didn't answer the question that God asked, but God was asking for a purpose. He was wanting to instruct. He was wanting him to understand. He was wanting him to see this work that God was doing in Jonah's life. Jonah was still struggling, as we will see here as we go on, still struggling in dealing with this concept of God forgiving his enemies. Um, And again, we've talked about this multiple times now. It's hard to picture this maybe for some of us, but these were very real enemies to Jonah and to his people, and he was struggling. There was a, a real battle with him understanding how God could forgive these ones who had killed, killed the people of God possibly killed some of Jonah's own family. So this was very personal. This was very uh, close to Jonah's heart. So again, we can empathize a little bit with what Jonah was feeling, what he must have been experiencing. But all through this book, Jonah is being taught by God about grace, repentance, forgiveness. Again, forgiveness is an offer to all who repent, and that's what God was showing Jonah. So let's pick up in verse 5 now. Jonah 4, 5, we'll read down through 8. So it says, So Jonah went out of the city, sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade, till he saw, till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as the morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and so it damaged the plant, and it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished for death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Jonah left the city. Again, he didn't answer the question in verse 4, Is it right for you to be angry? We, we can assume Jonah's answer was yes, because we'll see him say that here shortly. But he left, and he went up to watch what would happen. And I wonder, you know, in his mind, what his mind, his frame of mind might have been of, was he really wanting to see the forgiveness that was going to come? Or was there just a, maybe a, a ray of hope in his mind that somehow God would change and destroy Nineveh, and he would have a front row seat to see it? So there he was, sitting over, looking over this city that he just preached to. And we can think and contrast that to what Jesus saw when he looked over the city of Jerusalem in Luke 19. We can turn over there and read 
verses 41 through 44 of Luke 19. As Jesus drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Quite a contrast as Jesus was looking over Jerusalem, weeping over a city that wouldn't repent. And we can compare that to Jonah, who's sitting on a hill, looking over a city that completely repented. And he was possibly, again, conjecture on my part, not super excited to watch and see that city forgiven, that city not destroyed as God had intended to because they had repented and God had relented. Jesus had just preached a message to these ones in Jerusalem, a message of salvation, of repentance, and they rejected leading to their destruction. Jonah, again, was witnessing quite the opposite. Nineveh had recognized the time, had recognized that God turned towards them, had shown grace and favor to them, and they took the opportunity knowing that this was a day of visitation, a chance to repent as the king ordered and proclaimed throughout the kingdom. Again, what a picture of God's grace. Yet Jonah was still clinging to his own feelings, his own emotions. Again, they were very real. I'm not discounting that. So he sat there and he made a shelter for himself. And again, he made a shelter that obviously wasn't sufficient because shortly hereafter, God's going to make a plan to cover him. Again, just a small picture that our works, that our abilities are not sufficient in and of ourselves to bring relief. Jonah's shelter could not bring the relief that would bring him true comfort from his misery, as we read just a moment ago. Our works are in vain outside the Lord's leading. They are insufficient to accomplish that grace, that work that we need in our heart. So we see there as we go on that God prepared a plan, another miracle of God to provide for Jonah, to teach Jonah yet again to show him yet again his grace, his patience, his desire to provide and be all things for all people, from Jonah down to these vile, vile people in Nineveh. God prepared, again, we looked at that word early on in chapter 1. It means to appoint, to prepare, to weigh out by implication to allot or constitute something. God weighs out his plan. He gives allotments. As he deems, as he knows best, he orders our steps. God made several appointments. For Jonah in this book, God appointed the fish back in chapter 1. The plant here we just saw in verse 6 of chapter 4. He also showed his sovereignty over all creation by appointing a worm, as we'll get to in a moment, and a scorching east wind. All of God's creation followed God's sovereign appointments, except for Jonah. Those around Jonah, nature included, was all falling in line with exactly what God had ordered, his steps, his plans, Jonah, we see, refusing that appointment and resenting the second one that he actually acquiesced to. This plant must have been something fairly large to give complete shade and relief to Jonah, to come up in an instant, something so big that it would cover Jonah and provide him heat. Again, what a great miracle that was. What great grace was shown to Jonah by God. And Jonah rejoiced greatly at that. Though he did nothing to deserve it, he was, he was happy and he was pleased as he was sitting there watching, maybe hoping for Nineveh to fall. He was 
happy in his state with this shade that he did nothing to deserve. He loved it. He, he rejoiced greatly in it. He failed to recognize that God was again showing who is the provision, who is the provider to both Jonah and Nineveh. In our own hearts, do we ever fail to recognize God's blessing? Do we ever fail to recognize his leading and his providence in these things that just seem to happen sometimes? I can't imagine what Jonah must have thought as this plant was kind of growing up around him. The experiences that he had already been through in the belly of the fish. Again, this, you know, I might have jerked away from a big plant that was growing up around me thinking, this thing is going to swallow me just like the fish did. I mean, Jonah had some experience of being swallowed and captured. I might have had some fear of this great plant growing up around me, but Jonah sat there and greatly accepted this blessing from God. He rejoiced greatly. It's easy for us to do that, right? When we have blessings in our lives, unexpected blessings, it's so easy to rejoice and be glad when things go our way. Did Jonah deserve this blessing? Was his heart in the right place as he was sitting on that hill looking over Nineveh? I would say no, and I'd say nor do we. But thank God that he does not deal with us according to our own sins, as we read in Psalms 103. A familiar passage, and one actually we read, I think, in Lesson 2-ish, somewhere around there. But we'll read it again here because it applies just the same in Psalms 103. Verses 10 through 14 says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our inequities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Saints, I'm glad that he knows our frame. I'm glad that he knows we are dust, that he pities us, that he allows us to come before him knowing that we are not worthy, that he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. Jonah, again, is a living example of this. The one who fled from God, fled and paid the fare to go to Tarshish. Again, in my mind, I could picture Jonah sitting on this hill and instead of waiting for Nineveh to be destroyed, surely contemplating why he was still alive. He had rejected God. He had turned from God. He had fled from the presence of God down to the depths of the belly of that fish as he was taken down. Yet God doesn't deal with us according to our sins. It's amazing, amazing the grace of God that he allows us to come to him, to repent after our shortcomings, our failings that come again and again. A lesson that he was teaching Jonah through the mercy he was showing to Nineveh. This plant was intended certainly to deliver him from his discomfort, but also to deliver Jonah from his wicked attitude, to cause him to reflect on the mercy and the grace of God. Again, Nineveh's repentance shielded from eternal calamity. This plant was just simply shielding Jonah from the excessive heat that he faced in that time. Jonah's great happiness here, literally the word has great rejoicing, the meaning of, or means great rejoicing, was over his personal comfort. He was so glad that that heat was taken off of his back. But he's still sitting here in displeasure and anger that God had shown grace to Nineveh again. What brings Jonah happiness and comfort is very, very different than what brings God great joy and peace when his people repent. 
So going on in verse 7 of chapter 4, we see that God prepares a worm. Again, another miracle, another working at the hand of God to work in Jonah's life, to teach him, to show him, to allow him to learn as he goes through life, as he experiences life. And again, the ups and downs of life. We've talked a lot about Romans 7 and that battle of the flesh and, and what I will to do in the flesh and the battle that's within me. But in Psalms 30, we read, Now in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Again, that's an easy thing to say when things are going good. I shall never be moved. I'm rock solid because things are good and comfortable and pleasant to me. Lord, by your favor, going on in verse 7 there, you have made my mountains down strong. Yet you hid your face and I was troubled. Again, at the first sign of, of trouble, our soul sometimes becomes discouraged and downcast. When God's favor appears to be gone, the psalmist writes here, I was troubled. Again, in our New Testament, we are told, don't count it strange when trials come. The Lord is doing a work. Just as we see all these different appointments that Jonah had in his life, so too God makes appointments in our lives. As we go through life, different events, different things, different people are appointments that God brings into our life to do a work. Just again, the natural example of making an appointment with the dentist, with the doctor. Again, you're going to that person to have something accomplished. The Lord makes appointments in our lives to accomplish the working of his will, the one who works according to the counsel of his will. It's hard to do. It's hard to remember sometimes when those things are taken away. Again, naturally speaking, it was probably very hot where Jonah was at this time. And that plant was providing a very real shelter and shade and protection to him. When we lose something like that, When we lose something so dear to us, whether it's a loved one, a job, fill in the blank of something that might suddenly be taken away from you, is it easy to remain strong, to stand strong on that same firm foundation that the Lord has provided for us, even when that plant isn't over us, bringing us great shade and comfort naturally? Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. So again, it's a reminder to Jonah and to us what, what deserves our attention, the plant or the word. Again, in our lives, we look at the things around us. It's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day, the tasks, the responsibilities, the material things that we need to survive and at times really enjoy, but they are temporary. Again, they are a blessing from the Lord, and it's not to discount that, but the word of God is what's eternal. The word of God is what's going to last. The word of God is what's going to sustain us. God is teaching Jonah this is what's eternal. Focus on what's eternal, not a plant. Focus on this eternal work that I want to do in you and the people of Nineveh. Moving on into verse 8, it says God prepared a vehement wind. Again, another miracle, the working of the Lord. There are multiple miracles throughout this book. But as we've said time and time again through the study, no greater miracle than that work that God did in the hearts of Nineveh. But as this wind came up, it reminded me just to turn back to Jonah 1.4. We read this in our opening lesson. The Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea that the ship was about to be broken up again. The wind that comes is often tied to proving to trials in, in Scripture. Jonah had experienced wind before. So when this wind began to blow, in my mind, he should have remembered this experience in his life. Oh, the wind has blown in my life before. When the storms come, when the wind blows in our lives, it's blown before. 
And the Lord showed himself faithful to Jonah in that first wind. It broke up the ship, almost broke up the ship to the point of where they had to cast him into the sea. This wind caused an event in his life, a provision of God to save him, to do a work. So when the wind blew again, in my mind, Jonah should have said, oh, I've been here before. I remember what the Lord did. I remember the faithfulness of God. That doesn't mean that our trials are pain-free. It doesn't mean that our trials aren't weighty. But when that wind comes, remember, the wind has blown before, and the wind will blow again. The Lord is doing a work. Jonah should have remembered, I I don't need to keep making these same mistakes. The God is gracious. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. This is what God is trying to work, blowing this wind upon Jonah so that he would remember that he would recognize the Lord working and teaching him, experience in his love, yet once again his faithfulness, his protection in this new wind that was blowing. But Jonah instead wishes for death. We must come to a place in understanding that God is in control of all things. God is continuing to teach Jonah this, that he works all things together for our good, that he has everything laid out, planned, appointed for us. We must learn to accept each step from his hand. Jonah, or excuse me, Job rather, is such a great example of this. Job, remember back in Job, we won't turn there for time's sake, but he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed is the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. He goes on in speaking to his wife the next chapter, but he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept Adversity and all this Job did not sin with his lips. What a great perspective. And again, it would be easy for me to stand up here and pontificate on how easy this verse is to live out. But it's 100% accurate. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. When the Lord gives, my arms are open. Bring it. Keep giving. Keep giving. But at times, when he takes away, our arms should remain open. We shouldn't close our arms and cling on to what he wants to take out of our lives because he wants to do it to work good. Even in our minds, if we can't come to understand why, why would you take this from me? I've, I've heard people ask that question. Why would you allow this to happen to me? And I don't have an easy answer at times to, to give to them other than to say, the Lord is working. He has a plan. He is all-knowing. He is wise. God was showing Jonah that he alone is sovereign, that he always has the best interests of man in mind. Jonah missed it due to being angry. His passions, his emotions overruled his intellect, his understanding, as they can in our own lives. As Samson in his own life, when he became vexed, he he just gave up and said, fine, it's my hair. Cut my hair and my power will go away. Again, we get to that point where we get irrational because we don't have control of our emotions. And we are emotional beings, and our emotions are something that God has given us and can work great things through the emotion of man, but can bring great destruction if we allow them to rule instead of being in subjection. The Lord is strong. His might is powerful. Our enemy always seeks to prowl around, to devour, to incite, to elicit those emotions for us to get to that point of being irrational, to get to that point where we see here as we go on in Jonah. And we'll wrap up the, the chapter here where we say things that just don't make any sense. 
Jonah chapter 4 and verse 9. God says to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. I have to breathe deep with that answer because it's just, it's illogical. But the Lord said, You had pity on a plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and much livestock? Again, in these last verses, we see this point of salvation, grace, mercy, and forgiveness driven home. Sharply drawn here, the souls of men are much, much greater value than a plant that Jonah was upset about. Jonah was ready to die over this plant. Again, we can laugh, we can smile again in our own lives. What have we been so emotional about in our lives that we just think, oh my gosh, I can't go on without this thing. It's easy for us to overvalue things and undervalue things when our our value perspective is off. Jonah was still angry. This time he does answer God and he says, yes, it is right for me to be angry. But we see here how quickly God puts an end. He puts an end to this conversation, to this experience that Jonah is going through and simply says, no. No, Jonah, you are wrong. This is a very clear example as he ends this book. Is this great city, Nineveh, of 120,000 people who don't know their left hand from their right hand, how are their lives of not much more, greater value than this silly plant that just shielded you from a hot day? Again, we should pity the lost, even when they irritate us, even when they make us angry. And not just the lost, it could be our brothers and sisters here, other places, God is a God of mercy who pities. God is a God who desires for us to come and reason together as we see in Isaiah. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, it goes on to say there, you shall eat the good of the land. Again, that is what the Lord wanted to do. He wanted to wash them and make them white as wool, take away their sins from them, It is what he desires to do in all mankind. He is very merciful and compassionate. Again, as that that passage wraps up there, it goes even the last three words, and much livestock. Again, God even placing value on the animals that were all wrapped up into this. Not that they were of anywhere near the importance of mankind, but just to drive home that point to Jonah, I am showing great grace and mercy God's question ends the book in order to help us learn from Jonah's lesson about God's character, his sovereignty, his righteousness, his graciousness, his merciful. God is loving and kind even to those who are ungrateful, unthankful, as we read in Luke there. He is patient, desiring repentance for all. It says there at the end of verse 35, for he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. I am glad he was kind to me when I was unthankful. And evil. I'm glad he is kind to me when I'm not thankful today. God's desire is that all men should come to an understanding of who he is to experience his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness. There was no place for selfish agendas or priorities as he was showing Jonah. Again, even though he had a natural justification to feel this way, it was not what God intended for Nineveh. Should I not 
pity Nineveh. The abrupt end of this book, I think it's kind of like a mic drop of sorts. Should I not pity them? It's a question that I think he throws to Jonah's face. There's no rebuttal. There's no answer from Jonah here because I think he gets it. I think it's the light bulb comes on. And he goes, yeah, you're right. They are of great value. I understand now. Again, this is my speculation, but I believe Jonah got it. When Peter finally got it, he just wept bitterly, and then he went on. I believe Jonah went on. Though he took the long road to get there, there are lessons that he learned. Even from his own words, he learned that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Jonah learned the lesson God was trying to teach him. Jonah learned and saw this lesson brought out in the city of Nineveh. Again, we talked about this early on, whether Jonah wrote the book or not, I don't know. I think he might have, but I think he was heavily involved because of all the first-person accounts that are given. That put Jonah in a very vulnerable spot, and that's why I think that he gets it. That's why I think he went on with the Lord, because he authored this story, or at least told this story of his life, his failures. Again, I wouldn't want a book written about Scott. I wouldn't want to be the co-author of that story to tell all my failures, save for the opportunity for others to learn. And I think that's what Jonah wanted for us. I think that's what the Lord wanted to teach us through this book. We can fail. We can fall short. But God's grace never does. And if we will turn to him, if we will allow him, he will work. And we can experience, as Jonah did, as Nineveh did, did, his love, his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness.